Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Stephen Kiley. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. And so this morning, I'm going to try to give you some fruits and vegetables, and I'll let Brother Kiley serve up the prime rib. But I'll tell you the truth, uh, the steak is great. I'm on a diet, you can tell I'm talking about food. But the, the vegetables and the fruit are just as important. I want to talk a little bit about Solomon this morning while you're standing. I, I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings. Going to the third chapter, verse 5. I always, when I was a kid, I I always liked to watch I Dream of Jeannie. I thought that man had everything he needed. Someone that could give him whatever he wanted with just a snap of a finger and said, uh, What is your wish, Master? And then when I opened up my Bible, I find that the Lord did the same thing for a particular individual and asked him what he could give him. And that's man of Solomon in verse 5 of chapter 3 of 1 Kings. Wrong Kings here. I better go back to first. First Kings three. In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, "Ask what I shall give thee." And Solomon said, "Thou hast showed unto thy servant David, my father, great mercy." according as he has walked before thee in truth and in righteousness and in uprightness of heart with thee. And thou hast kept for him this great kindness, and thou hast given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. And now, O Lord God, thou hast made thy servant king instead of David my father. And I am but a little child. I, I know not how to go out or come in. And thy servant is in the midst of thy people, which thou hast chose, a great people that cannot be numbered nor counted for multitude. Give, therefore, thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people, that I may discern between good and bad. For who is able to judge this so great a people? And the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon asked this thing. And God said unto him, Because thou hast asked this thing, and hast not asked for thyself long life, neither hast asked riches for thyself, nor hast asked thy life of thine enemies, but hast asked for thyself understanding to discern judgment. Behold, I have done according to thy words. 
Lo, I have given thee a wise and an understanding heart, so that there was none like thee before thee, neither after thee shall any arise like unto thee. You may be seated. When you look at Solomon, he was the second son born to Bathsheba. He was actually uh, the 17th of 19 sons. It seems that if you're looking at the order of things or the firstborn to be blessed, Solomon necessarily wouldn't have been in the forefront. But something was in the heart of Solomon that David recognized and God recognized that God could use. He was um, a king that reigned for 40 years. At the time of his taking the throne, the kingdom of Israel was experiencing an age of prosperity, prosperity and unity. He actually became king in 961 B.C. However, when you look at his reign, it ends disastrously. Not only did he change his, his initial uh, view of, of his relationship to God in the beginning, he changed it terribly, and he began to oppress the people that he had prayed for wisdom to guide. During his reign, he wrote 3,000 proverbs, 1,005 songs. In Deuteronomy, the... 17th chapter. The 15th verse. God had given instructions for kings. It says, Thou shalt in, in any wise set him king over thee, whom the Lord thy God shall choose, one from among thy brethren shalt thou set king over thee. Thou mayest not set a stranger over thee, which is not thy brother. Now notice the guidelines for royal kingship. But he shall not multiply horses to himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt, to the end that he should multiply horses, for as much as the Lord hath said unto you, you shall henceforth return no more that way. Neither shall he multiply, multiply wives to himself, that his heart turn not away. Neither shall he greatly multiply to himself silver and gold. Now, if you're familiar with the story of Solomon, you're going to realize right away that these three requirements that God has given for a king were all three violated. It says not to take on to himself wives, many wives. Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. He had a great lust for foreign entanglements. Those marriages were all meant to increase his his scope of power and authority. And we find that God turned his favor against 
Solomon in 1 Kings, the 11th chapter. Verse 11. Wherefore the Lord said unto Solomon, For as much as this is done of thee, and thou hast not kept my covenant and my statutes which I have commanded thee, I will surely rend the kingdom from thee, and I will give it to thy servant. Notwithstanding in thy days I will not do it for David thy father's sake, but I will rend it out of the hand of thy son. So we, we find that not only did he violate the entanglements with, with foreign wives, he also multiplied his gold and silver. He increased, this almost sounds like the generation that we live in, he increased the tax base. He, he entered into an economy that was flourishing, but he increased the tax base and raised the taxes, and he caused great resentment among the people, but he amassed a great wealth. And then we find uh, the horse. Horses, too, in the Eastern culture were important. They represented more than just property. They re represented power, especially in warfare. He had 12,000 horsemen, soldiers, 12,000 horsemen. He had 14,000 chariots, but during his reign, he never went to war. He amassed these things after the Lord had told him not to. Now, I said all that to say this this morning. I want to get into my lesson. Solomon, the story of Solomon starts out so beautifully. It starts off with a humble, sensitive spirit with promises and blessings promised by God and commitments made on the part of a person or a man, namely Solomon. But if we go back and look at 1 Chronicles 28, let's go back to the beginning. I'm going to read from verse 1 to 10. Let's look at the blessing of Solomon. And David, verse 1 of chapter 28 of 1 Chronicles 28, And David assembled all the princes of Israel, the princes of the tribes and the captains of the companies that ministered to the kings by course and the captains over the thousands and captains over the hundreds and stewards over all the substance and possession of the king and of his sons with his, the officers and with the mighty men and with all the valiant men unto Jerusalem. Then David the king stood up upon his feet and said, Hear ye, hear me, my brethren and my people. As for me, I had in mine heart to build a house of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord and for this footstool of our God and had made ready for the building. But God said unto me, Thou shalt not build a house for my name, because thou hast been a man of war, and hast shed blood. Howbeit the Lord God of Israel chose me before all the house of my father to be king over Israel forever, for he hath chosen Judah to be the ruler, and the house of Judah, the house of my father, and among the sons of my father, he liked me to make the king, like me to make me king over all Israel. 
And of all my sons, for the Lord hath given me many sons, he hath chosen Solomon, my son, to sit upon the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. Solomon was chosen by God. Remember the scripture says, uh, you've not chosen him, but he has chosen thee. God has called every one of us out of darkness into his marvelous light. It's a commission. Just like Solomon was called out of his 17 brothers, God has called us out of humanity, out of the 6.5 billion people on the face of the earth. And he's making a covenant with you and I, just like he made a covenant with Solomon. He's going to give us promises as well as guidelines. And he said unto me, Solomon, thy son, verse 6, he shall build my house and my courts, for I have chosen him to be my son, and I will be his father. Moreover, I will establish his kingdom forever, if he be constant to do my commandments and my judgments as at this day. Now therefore, in the sight of all Israel, the congregation of the Lord, and in the audience of our God, Keep and seek for all the commandments of the Lord your God that you may possess the good land and leave it for an inheritance for your children after you forever. Not only will your life that as it follows God be a blessing to you, but it will leave an inheritance for your children to follow in. And thou, Solomon, my son, know now the God of thy father And notice the three things that he speaks to Solomon. And serve him with a perfect heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understandeth all the imaginations of the thoughts. If thou seek him, he will be found of thee. But if thou forsake him, he will cast thee off forever. Take heed now. For the Lord hath chosen thee to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. So I guess as we start this morning, it's not so much uh, the first part of our relationship with God, the part where God chooses us. What's even more important than being chosen is how we walk after him. Three things David charged Solomon. Duty, remember your duty towards God, your motivation for what you do, and the promises that God will give you if you obey him. And I'm going to talk a little bit on each one of those. So, know the God of your father, the first one, to know God. Nothing's more important than knowing who you serve and why you serve him. Let's turn to Jeremiah, the ninth chapter, verse 23 and 24.
Thus saith the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord which exercises loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. It isn't how much you amass in life. It's not how much you do for God. God says he draws great respect and honor from you knowing him, from your participation in your relationship with him. I was thinking about John 14 and 17. And these four words jumped out. We won't turn back there. And the words were, if you really knew me, Jesus said to his disciples. If you really knew me, he said, you would know my father. And I thought about that. If I really knew him, would I act sometimes the way that I act? If I really knew him, would I make some of the decisions that I made? We know in part, the Bible says. We, we understand in part. But in 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter says, but when that is which is perfect is come, he shall reveal all these things to you. I think the church needs a revelation and a knowledge of him. Not just about him, not just to read a story in a book, but to have a knowledge of who he is and your relationship to him. I look at people that are dealing, uh, they're beginning their relationship with God, and they're, they're coming to God and saying, well, what does God expect from me? I really don't know him. I I, I've heard about him, I, I read about him, but what does God expect from me in the beginning part of my journey? And the Bible says that God grants every man repentance, but he has respect unto that repentant heart. The first step in acknowledging and learning about God is drawing uh, knowledge from who you are in relationship to him. I've had how many people say, well, what do I repent of? I I don't feel like I've done anything wrong. Well, I I think what's happened is your biggest mistake is that you haven't stood in the presence of God. You know, I I can remember when I first came into the church, I, I thought I was pretty decent. I tried to do one more good thing than I did a bad thing. I always tried to remember the scales of justice that if I tried to do better than I did bad, God would accept me. But I remember sitting under the anointed preaching of the word and feeling the presence of a holy God for the first time, and I felt unclean. I felt undone. I felt unworthy of God. That's the beginning of knowledge. The beginning of a journey starts in your ability to recognize where you are in relationship to a holy God. Now, Solomon starts out that way. 
but he forgets. I don't think he cultivated his relationship with God as much in the latter part of his life as he did in the beginning. Look at Hosea, the fourth chapter. Verse 1 and verse 6. Hear the word of the Lord, ye children of Israel, for the Lord hath a controversy with the inhabitants of the land, because there's no truth, nor mercy, nor God, knowledge of God in the land. I think sometimes as I read the scripture that there's an absence of, of knowledge of God even in our generation. People have an idea of who he is, but they don't know what he is. And if you jump down to verse 6, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee, that thou shalt be no priest to me, seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God, I will also forget thy children. And then you go back and you look in Paul's day, in Romans the first chapter. Look at verse um, 18. And you're all familiar with this portion of scripture, I'm sure. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations. Their foolish heart was darkened. They professed themselves to be wise, but they became as fools. And they changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, and to birds, and four-footed beasts, and creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator, who is blessed forever, amen. For this God, for this cause, God gave them up to, unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves the recompense of their error which was made. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Wow! Because they chose not to keep a knowledge of God in their mind, God has turned them over to a reprobate mind. It's a mind that's not subject to the laws of God. Can you see that in our society? Forget about the homosexual issue. That's not the source of our problem. The source started with man not wanting to retain a place in their life for God, a knowledge of God. When we started in the 60s and 50s to start to push God out of our public schools and our teaching, and we started to take his, his uh, authority 
away from our own country and acknowledge him, the Bible says what would happen would be a side effect, would be the things that we're seeing. So that's not the cause of our issue. The cause of the problem is man not wanting to retain the knowledge of God and the place of God in their life. I look at Psalms 19. Verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where there is, their voice is not heard. People not wanting to retain the knowledge of God have even turned to evolution to disavow the creation, the visible creation of God, which testifies of his greatness. I was talking with a man yesterday, and we were talking about how evolution does not even meet the criteria for science. It does not meet the three goals for science. But yet, man would rather choose that than, than God's role in creation. And then, last of all, in Hebrews, the, third, the first chapter... Verse 1 and 2, God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spoke in time past unto, father, unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world. So knowledge comes to creation, and knowledge comes forth in the New Testament through his Son, through Christ. Now, some people want to disavow Christianity. But that's where the knowledge of God, the Bible says, originates. I found out um, recently I was talking to somebody I had worked with. I used to do our prayer at our company appreciation dinner. But one year I was never, I, I did it a couple times and I was never asked to do it again. And I always felt a little embarrassed because the chaplain was there at the dinner, but uh, someone else was doing the prayer. And then I found out that the reason that I was no longer asked to do the prayer was I mentioned the name of Jesus in my prayer. There was a large group of people at the meeting, but there was one person that was a Muslim. So I guess we cannot, if anybody has a different opinion than what we have, we are not allowed to express our opinion. But that's not true. Not in our society. You're encouraged to say whatever you want to say, but don't mention Jesus because that causes people to refocus their attention on knowledge. And the Bible says, my people perish for the lack of knowledge. John, the first chapter, verse 14.
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and beheld, we beheld His glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And then verse 18. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, He hath declared Him. No man cometh to the Father except by me. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. When people say, we don't want to hear the name of Jesus, they're really saying, I don't want to know the way to God. I don't want to know the truth. I'm content living outside of his authority. But God says, because you've chosen that, I will turn your mind into a reprobate mind. And now we have an election this year that has caused a country that once was esteemed to be laughed at. But it's just all a a source of man, our, our country, turning its back on God. John, the 14th chapter, verse 7. If you had known me, you should have known my Father also. And from henceforth you know him and have seen him. You want to know God? Come through Christ Jesus. And then in the 17th chapter... Just a few pages away. Verse 1. These words spake Jesus, and he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hours come. Glorify thy son, that thy son also may glorify thee. And as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And, as, and this is life eternal, that they might know thee the only true God, and, and in the Greek this word would be even, not just and, even Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou hast gavest me to do. Has our society, have many people that proclaim Christianity made a serious effort to know God? The Bible says, unless you believe that I am he, you shall die in your sins. It's not by your works. It's by your attaining the knowledge and your place in God's reign on earth. The second thing that God, uh, David instructed Solomon was on was to serve God with a loyal heart, with his whole heart, with a heart that was devoted totally to God. I'm running out of time, so i got a couple minutes here, but what was the greatest commandment in Matthew 22? Do you remember? To love the Lord thy God with all thy mind, with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength. That was what David was saying to Solomon. Love him with everything that you have. Serve him. Know him. But Solomon changed his focus, and Solomon started to look more upon himself and his own reign than on God. And it led him down a path of destruction, 
A man that was mightily blessed of God lost out because he did not follow the guidelines and the knowledge that God had given him. And last of all, what's our motivation? Why do we do what we do? Why do we come to church? Why do we praise God? Why do we give tithes? Why, why do we do, what is the source of our motivation? And I, The only way that I think I can give you a clear picture in just a couple minutes is, if you've ever loved someone, your motivation for their care is not out of duty. I love dogs. I don't have a dog right now, and I have to occasionally go and get my dog fixed someplace. Can I play with your dog? Can I rub your head? I just need a dog fix. But I would love to do things for my dog because he showed me so much appreciation. One little piece of chicken skin would cause him to go nuts, and he licked my face and jump all over me. The devotion of him to me just for the little tidbits of things that I would give him. Now cats, now that's a different thing. But when I, I thought about when you were dating, your first date, or you wanted to take them out to McDonald's, right? No, you didn't have any money in your pocket, but you scraped up every cent that you had because you wanted to show this person how you were beginning to feel. You gathered great satisfaction by giving because you saw their response of appreciation. Now to wrap this up, my motivation in serving God is not, be, not something to, uh, to somehow take me away from judgment or from damnation. I certainly would not want to spend eternity in hell. But my motivation for what I do has to be receiving God's pleasure to see God respond to me and say, thank you, I appreciate that. It makes me feel good when you do that. That in turn makes me feel great inside. When I worship God, I don't do it so people don't think that I'm unspiritual. I do it because it pleases him. I would like you to give you an assignment. When you start to do the things that God has commanded you to do, why don't you start in your imagination picturing the face of Christ and see how he responds to your motivation and to your action. Oh, I love you. I don't know if you've ever experienced walking into the arms of God and feeling the peace of God and being wrapped in his comfort, but I wish I could tell other people the ecstatic electric feel of feeling his presence and his approval. Solomon lost all that. Solomon wanted the approval of men and of women and, and kingdoms. He tried to satisfy his urges by just new relationships. But there is one relationship that's most important above any other relationship that you have. And I want to remind you again this morning that God is extremely jealous. You think your spouse is jealous? God is a thousand times more jealous for you than your spouse is because he has purchased you with his own blood. 
and he will not share you with another. My name is Jealous. And I have to remember that. But it isn't I dream of Jeannie that brings me hope anymore. My hope is in him. And if I could go on, I would have talked about how God is all-knowing. He knows your thoughts. He knows your motivations. He knows everything about you. So I close with this. If he knows all that stuff, he even knows what you're thinking right now. If he already knows it, why pretend anymore? Just open up, give it back to him, those things that are bad, and please him by doing what he's asked you to do without complaining. Here, honey, here's your birthday card. Happy birthday. You gave her a birthday card. Did you make her happy? No. You know what I look for on my birthday cards? Yeah. <laughs> After money. <laughs> you know you're going to preach a little while, and I'll get back at you. <laughs> it's a little game we all play. I get my, my birthday card, and I always open it up, and I go first, just to get them mad, because I've got this terrible reputation already, and I play into it all the time. But I look for the personal things that are written. I know you can, you can buy a card and somebody else wrote it and you can sign your name. That doesn't mean as much to me as when I see a note on it that says, Dear Steve, I just want to tell you how much I love you. And uh, what our relation, I'm thinking about my wife and stuff, how, what our relation means to us. That's what tears my heart out. Not tears it hard, it builds it up. God wants the same thing. He doesn't want to coin our Father who art in heaven prayer. That's, that's a store-bought card. He just wants you to say, you know what, God, I don't know how to tell you this, but I just love you. I couldn't imagine a day without you in my life. I know, Lord Jesus, I sometimes don't live at the expected level that you've chosen for me to live at, but Lord, forgive me. I want to be higher. I want to be with you forever, Lord. I can't imagine being anyplace else in eternity but by your side. That's how he wants you to talk to him. Don't go the way of Solomon and try to amass horses and all these other things and wealth because it still leaves you empty and you don't retain knowledge of God in your life and then all of these reprobate thoughts come into your thinking. All right, let's stand. God is so awesome. Sometimes when I wake up in the morning and I see the sunrise, I say, God, you really outdid yourself today. And to think that he loves me, guess who got the better end of that deal? Lord Jesus, I pray that for the remainder of our service together today, Lord, that you would touch every one of us. Help us to... Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.